just like radical self-acceptance starts with the understanding and the belief that your needs matter. Your needs are legitimate. They are non-negotiable. If you feel guilty or ashamed of that, that's where we start. Listen, lady, you're capable, smart, and driven. Then why do you feel so overwhelmed? Hi, I'm Rithi Parikh, mom of two, wife of one, best-selling author, and former perfectionist. Okay, current, but working on it. I'm here to show rockstar professionals who are doing it all that you can have an amazing career, relationships, and life by taking control of your focus, habits, and goals. Join me for simple and motivating ways to squash overwhelm and reconnect with what matters most. Welcome to Productivity on Purpose. Hey, Diane. I'm so excited you're here. We're basically picking up our conversation where we left off a few days ago when we couldn't stop yapping. We like had this, this 30 minutes on our calendar to get to know each other, which, which quickly grew into 45 minutes. Then we had to put the kibosh on it because we're like, we could talk all day long. Um, but a lot of what we were talking about was just so valuable for women, working women uh, who are doing all the things for all the people all the time. And we really were diving into this idea of boundaries and a term that I love and I find so unique to your practice and what you teach. And I feel like we could just dive deep into here and start here. But this was this idea of radical self-acceptance. Um, I find this fascinating. I find it like extremely relevant. And I was wondering if you could tell us, A, what does that mean? And then B, like, how do you see that showing up for women? I would love to start there. And yeah, it was super fun just getting to know you because I realized when you're talking to a like-minded person, it's like you've known each other forever. And that's so awesome. So <clears throat> radical self-acceptance, I did not actually create the term. And I am a huge fan of giving credit where credit is due, especially to women, because we tend to be up underrepresented in the credit department. So the term radical self-acceptance was originally coined by a woman named Tara Brock, who is a Buddhist meditation teacher. And her use of the term radical self-acceptance is kind of how she teaches self-compassion. The way I think about it is this, women are really hard on themselves. I have never met a woman who wasn't. In fact, most women, I'm sure the women listening now to this podcast are women who are trying to do all the things, trying to do them all perfectly at the same time. Being a mom, working, you know, all the things, taking care of other people, taking care of the community, taking care of their home, all the things. So perfectionism is the opposite of radical self-acceptance. Imposter complex is the opposite of radical self-acceptance. Radical self-acceptance starts with knowing you don't have to be like anyone else. You don't have to have a lifestyle that looks like anyone else. You don't have to have a career path or a family that looks like anyone else. But most women are so prone to comparing especially since social media has taken over our lives, that we're always worrying about, am I doing enough? Am I doing well enough? Am I keeping up? Am I where I'm supposed to be? So radical self-acceptance starts with the premise that you're right where you're supposed to be. You are doing enough. You are enough. Your path 
is perfect for you and it can change. And it may sound super simple, like, well, that's just kind of like approving of yourself, but it's deeper than that. And that's where the radical part comes in. And I'll tell you why. A lot of women that I work with are entrepreneurs and they started on the entrepreneurial path because they had difficulty for one reason or another with corporate, academia, or nonprofit. Lots of times it's because of family responsibilities. Sometimes it's because of a chronic illness, a mental disorder, or being overly sensitive because they're creative and just the whole corporate environment felt really inhospitable for them. So where I notice women not accepting themselves is when they're seeking permission or apologizing for their needs. And I'm sure that you see this just as often as I do, right? All the time. And it shows up in like very sneaky ways, which is why I don't know at first glance when someone hears this, that they're thinking, oh, that's so me, right? Because it's, I, I think there, there are ways that we don't even recognize that we're doing that. And then when you dive deeper into this, as I'm sure we'll get, then they're like, oh yeah, actually that really <laughs> is me. Okay, I didn't think it was. So could you maybe go there and be like, what are some ways, what are the signals? Some of the sneaky the ways. <laughs> the sneaky ways, because I know there's people listening thinking, oh yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty accepting myself. I, you know, I know I'm not I love perfect. myself. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. not perfect. It's fine, you know, but I guarantee that's not true. So can you tell us like those signs? Yeah, like it could be something as simple as, um, and one of the things we talked about the other day was visibility. And, and I hope we have a chance to go there in this conversation as well, um, because I'm comfortable blogging. I'm comfortable podcasting. I used to do quite a bit of public speaking in my former career as a licensed psychotherapist. I would speak to a room full of other mental health professionals, psychiatrists, and so forth. No problem. Being visible on social media, like doing an IG reel, all it will take to stop me is a flare-up of my rosacea, which I can pretty much cover up with concealer, but I'm like, oh no, I have to wait for this to heal. And it's like, really, Diane? Like, nobody really will probably see it, but you know it's there, so that's enough to stop you. And it maybe just sounds like excuse-making, but it really is, it's all part of the perfectionism. Here's another example, and I'll just use myself because uh, that way I don't have to call anybody out. Like, I have a virtual assistant who creates the captions for me for my social media and just helps me with all kinds of things. I still insist on reviewing every single caption she writes and reviewing all the hashtag. I'm like, I'm paying this woman to do this. And I'm allegedly, you know, delegating and outsourcing. Why do I have to go through every single word? Perfectionism, you know, and because of that, like, what if there was a, you know, inappropriate hashtag. And I don't even mean inappropriate as in bad, just not great, not perfect. Or a word choice that wasn't perfect. First of all, who's going to know? Who's going to care? What difference is it going to make? But it will slow my role because if you have to check every little thing, right? If you're constantly checking in the mirror or, you know, even I've had people say to, to come as a guest on the podcast, oh, well, is this going to be video too or just audio because they don't want to be filmed. Other ways it can show up is I call this crowdsourcing your self-esteem. In fact, I just wrote a blog post about it. Women who are starting their own businesses um, in, in many of the Facebook groups that I'm in won't 
do anything unless they first show it to the group. So it's like, here's four, four um, potential logos. Which one do you think I should use? I'm like, excuse me, but unless this group is populated with nothing but your ideal customers, why are you asking them? And it's because we don't feel confident choosing ourselves, approving of ourselves, going all in on ourselves and saying, I am enough. And it's okay to make mistakes. It's, I just um, recorded an episode for my own podcast called The Confidence Habit. And it was based on a lot of research I've been doing about the confidence gap. Like, why is it that women won't apply for a promotion unless they meet 100% of the stated qualifications, while a man will apply when he only meets 60%. And he'll expect to get it, where the woman will credit it as luck or some sort of uh, quota. It's like, this makes no sense. This makes no sense, except for the fact that I think we are systematically, culturally, socially, and even biologically programmed to think we're not enough. Do you think the fear of failure is different or higher in women than in men? Because a lot of that I'm thinking, yeah, that's what I, that's what it comes to. Because we were talking earlier where we were chatting how um, I too, I've been on video for three or four years. I did weekly videos and now it's been a few years since I've done them and I, and I speak all over the country, but for some reason, getting on video now is just really, I'm just, I'm not doing it. I'm like, it's really holding me back and keeping me, uh, it's just, it's just, you know, I can't seem to get over it right now. And there is this fear of uh, judgment, I guess, this kind of fear of failure. And as we think about men and women, do you think that's something that the way that they're raised, that the society we're bringing them up in, the signals they're getting that men just have less of that? Yep. Okay. In fact, um, if you want, I think we should link to a handout to this article I just wrote about this, if your audience would like to go deeper in it, because here's what I've learned. Our brains are actually wired differently. Now, we, we would suspect this, and this is really controversial, and I'm not here to start any kind of debate or take anybody off. But the part of the brain that responds to stress and fight or flight is more easily activated in women. We are more likely to ruminate and worry and become anxious because of the differences in our brain. Also, the differences in our hormones. Estrogen is the tend and befriend hormone. It actually predisposes women to care more about what others think before they take action. Men are under the influence primarily of testosterone. They make 10 times more testosterone than we do. What does testosterone do? It, in, it um, makes them want to compete and take risks. So when you think about it, you know, fear of failure will stop women every time. And failure could be as, like, it could be epic fail. Like, I, I launched a program last fall. I got one sign up, one. And I had to refund the person's money. I was so embarrassed. Now, it was my first launch of this type. I wasn't prepared. 
Um, I thought I had everything in order, but I didn't. But instead of just saying, okay, I need to analyze the data and figure out what I did wrong, get back on the horse and try it again. I didn't. I did not. I waited. And so I think even just as much as I know about this, I am my own crash dummy. I'm my own test subject because what you realize is why is it, why does it feel so unsafe for us to fail? Well, look at all the messages that we get culturally that we're not enough. Billions of dollars of beauty products and all kinds of plastic surgery. All of these things are sold primarily to women. The underlying message is you need to fix yourself. <laughs> like, you know, so much attention is paid to our appearance, to our desirability, to all these things. So I think women are culturally conditioned to think we're not enough. And then we have this brain and hormones that are saying you need to take care of other people and you need to be concerned about what other people think. Um, it's kind of systemic. And so when a woman is actually bold enough to say, I want to go after that better job or that promotion, or I want to start a business, or even I want to start a family by myself. I don't particularly want a husband, but I do want kids. Like a bold choice is going to feel so scary, so risky, because everything in her and everything around her is telling her, you can't do it. You're not enough. You're not going to make it. Or even if she thinks that she is enough, she thinks she's going to get so much shade from other people that that shuts her down. Now, this is not obviously every woman, and I'm also not saying men do not suffer from self-doubt, but the published research indicates that while men may doubt themselves, it doesn't stop them from taking action the way it does women. And I think that's really the critical thing, is the biggest difference that women can make in their lives is to take action before they feel ready and to cultivate an ability to experience mistakes and failures without labeling themselves a failure. I think that's probably like if I could hit every woman in the world with a magic wand and say, from this moment forward, you are going to take action before you feel ready. And when you fail, you'll just stand right back up, learn from it and move right on. Absolutely. You know, one thing I didn't, I don't know why I haven't really thought about in the past as we are talking about this is the hormonal piece. I mean, I've always recognized the societal pieces and the media and yeah, I haven't really thought about the estrogen and testosterone levels and, you know, how that really impacts our behaviors and our actions. And so that was, that was very insightful for me just to kind of tie that into the bigger, there's like a whole picture, right? It's all, it's all integrated and it's just another piece of what makes us who we are, which in mm -hmm. some ways is very beautiful and empathetic and amazing. And in other ways, yeah, can sort of stunt our growth or hold us back or make us feel or play smaller than we should be or could be. Um, so thank you for that. I think that was, that just is really helping me kind of think this through as well. And I totally agree. If there was like, yeah, I love the idea of like the magic wand, go hit everyone on the head and be like, just do it, you know, just do it before you're ready. We're always our worst critic. We always are thinking everybody else is watching. And meanwhile, everyone's so dang busy with their own life. 
nobody's watching. Like nobody really cares. Everybody's honestly, watching you watching them. Like right. they're not, yes, they're not, yes. they're not like, thinking really... about you and what you're doing. It's like exactly. they're, they're, they're anticipating. But you know, the funny thing is about the magic wand is that there actually is a magic wand. It's called menopause. Mm. Well, tell when me more, you, since that's basically where I am right now. <laughs> when you go through menopause, which average age of onset is about 51. When you go through menopause, your body stops producing the same amount of female hormones. And I say, after you go through menopause, you're no longer under the influence of estrogen. I also like to refer to it as the estrogen evacuation. Estrogen has left the building. I love it. And what happens is that women actually start to think more like men, meaning we start to put our own self-interest a little higher on the list. So I think it's one of the reasons why you see so many women over 50 making really impressive changes in their lives because once estrogen is not dominating, you're thinking about what would people think and is this okay and can I actually do this? You become more of a risk taker and actually more confident in the progress. And you've probably noticed that older women in general, if they're healthy, mentally and physically, tend to be more confident and make more bold choices. And I think estrogen is one of the big reasons. They're no longer under the influence. So That's fascinating. You can look I've forward to that. Thought, yeah, well, I've always thought it's just been there, done that, I'm over it, right? It's like the wisdom of that age. You're like, uh, did that thing. I don't care anymore, people what people think anymore, or I'm getting closer to the second half of my life. So screw it. Like whatever happens. That's all you know, part like, of it. Yeah, it's so not just hormones. It's yeah, all part but, of it. But again, I never tied in the whole hormonal thing. Like that's fascinating to me that you're just like releasing that part of the, like the hormonal part that's mm-hmm. kind of keeping you into that cycle. I love that. That is, that's just fascinating. I love it. Okay. So if we're thinking about this, we're like, all right. So hopefully we're getting motivated and inspired. And you're like, I really do need to take more, more action before I'm ready, feel more confident, you know, all the things we see and we hear, we read it, but like, to me, how? this feels like, you're, how you do you do back. it? Yeah. How do you do it? You have to really push back on or alter, really tweak, change the, the boundaries you've had or the lack of boundaries that you've had Girl. with other people, with yourself, with your clients, with your kids, with your spouse. I mean, just everybody, right? You're like, I've got to redefine this how do you do that? Uh, like, where do you start? And how do you do it in a way that's successful and makes you feel more empowered instead of like feeling like now I'm constricted or got to take this away or I'm letting people down or I'm pissing people off? Like, I don't even know. Like, what is the best? Yeah. What, what are some thoughts around that? Well, what you're pointing to is that, yes, it you do need to renegotiate all your relationships and install better boundaries. This is actually my my number one thing that I love to teach about and talk about and help people with because for the most part, the women I work with are female entrepreneurs and most of them are married and have families and they're doing everything for everybody all the time and they're exhausted and they don't raise their prices They oftentimes give too many discounts to friends and family. They agree to a scope of work, like in any kind of service-based business. 
But then when the other person says, oh, you know, can you, oh, I just realized I also need this, or could you also do this? Like, you're so good at this. And they're like, oh, that would make them really happy. I'll just like throw that in. Next thing you know, I call it call that scope creep. So you've defined a scope of work and then you just keep adding more and more. It would be like you hired a housekeeper to come to your house and they say, I charge $100 for five hours work. And this is what I do. And this is, I don't do windows. I don't do chimneys. You know, I don't go down in the basement and all that. Okay, great. But then once they're there, you're like, oh, you know, I just really noticed the inside of the refrigerator is like really nasty. And, and my clothes need folding. There's like 10 loads of laundry on the bed. It's like, we didn't agree to that. Well, women, especially women who are not past menopause, will think it's really hard to say no. I mean, no is such a short, simple word, but it's so difficult for most women to get out of their mouth. And it's so, so we're powerful. Like, well, yeah, it's you, so you don't powerful. have to like word vomit after it. Like I'm no. done. Like stop having to explain why you're saying no. Just freaking say no. Like that's it. No one needs this an is, This is so huge. Just to be able to like, you've heard the meme, no is a complete sentence. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you literally you have to unlearn the habits of asking permission, explaining, justifying, rationalizing, all of that. Because even when we do set a boundary, we tend to give like a ton of reasons for why. You know, and this goes back to you're a working mom and somebody wants you to participate in the carpool with the stay-at-home moms. And you're like, I have to be at work at 7.30 and school starts at, I can't, you know, but um, lots of times women will just twist themselves into a pretzel because they don't want to let people down. So I want to break this down because boundaries is one word, but it encompasses a lot. We have boundaries with ourselves. Like I'm, you know, most women don't get enough sleep, for example, that's setting a boundary. Maybe your husband wants you to stay up and watch two episodes of Blacklist, but you need to watch one so you can be in bed by 10 because you Wait, need to get up at six to do your workout. Wait, are you in my bedroom tonight? Were you, were you just there <laughs> in my bedroom like last night? Blacklist too? I was a blacklist, but literally every night is the argument. He wants to see another show, another show. And I'm like, oh my God, I have to go to sleep. And it's just like, um, it, that's, that's why we got along so well the other day. I've been yeah. stalking you for months. No, just kidding. Yeah. So no, but it's right. It's like, you know, and, and you know how Netflix is. Like you, you only have a couple seconds to, to win that argument before mm-hmm. it rolls over into the next episode. So, but it's like, okay. And this is my family too. Like my husband gets up later and stays up later. I get up early and go to bed early. So here we are watching an episode and I start to stand up. And he's like, oh, come on. Just, just let's just watch the beginning. Yeah. And it's like, okay. So having boundaries with yourself actually, and this is part of the radical self-acceptance too. Like I radically accept the fact that I need a minimum of seven and a half hours of sleep for my body, mind, brain, mood, productivity, and general well-being. And if I don't get it, there are consequences to me and to the people around me. So am I rigid about that boundary? Yeah, I am. I am. And I will piss people off to get enough sleep. I've literally gone to my bedroom when people are at my house because they should have left by then. You know, they came over for dinner. It's 1030. You're still here. I'm like, good night. 
let my husband entertain them. Like, come on. Um, but it's a process and an understanding. It starts with what you need. What do you need? Like biologically, what do you need? Mentally, emotionally, spiritually, what do you need? And you're not getting, that's a boundary issue. Mm-hmm. Are you doing too much for other people? How do you know? A very important emotion, resentment. We call it frustration. We say, oh, she's so annoying. Or you tell it, you blame it on the other person and say, these clients are so needy. Right. No, girl. You are not communicating clear boundaries and ones that you're willing to defend. Now, you can be totally charming and totally sweet. And there are very simple ways you can do it. For example, nobody has unrestricted access to me anymore, including my own kids. Right. Why? Because I need to live my life in a pretty routine way for me to meet all of my own needs and goals. Once I do that, I'm really generous with other people, but I used to have that ass backwards. Right. I used to be so generous with other people that I never got around to meeting my own needs and goals. And eventually you start getting annoyed, frustrated, resentful, and a little bitter. But whose fault is it? It's just that women will say, okay, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know I need to set better boundaries. I know I need to say no. I know I just shouldn't automatically, you know, let people talk me into things that I don't want to do. And and then we think, well, once I'm doing it, I can't get out. It's a skill. It's a set of skills. You can learn it. But I believe it starts with number one, just like radical self-acceptance starts with the understanding and the belief that your needs matter. Your needs are legitimate. They are non-negotiable. If you feel guilty or ashamed of that, that's where we start. I have to interject here for a second about what you said, because I want to make sure that women are hearing this really well, that when you're complaining about someone else, that's your signal. That's one of the, right? That's one of the signals. It's not them, lady. It's you. (laughs) Okay. It's you. It is not them. You haven't put up the boundaries. When you're complaining about them, when you're feeling frustrated, it is not them. Okay. I mean, yes, it's them doing it, but you are like allowing that you're giving the permission. So you tell them what to expect. Yeah. When I think of like a red alert, like ding, 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 that's it. Like when you're complaining, don't think of how am I going to change them or they're so annoying. Well, how do I change my boundaries? How do I put up the boundaries so that that situation changes? Like ultimately ain't nobody going to come down and be like, oh, you know, let me, let me make life easier for you. Let me do that. You know, it's up to you. Like you're the one who has to do it. You put up your own boundaries. So I just wanted to like, make sure that they are hearing that. Like, I think that's a great one. Cause sometimes I'm, I don't know if I always put that together when I'm complaining, stop complaining, like just do something about it, you know, change that boundary. You are my soul sister. Can I just tell you, because, um, I, I, I really, have a hard time tolerating complaining. I think complaining is one of the most useless behaviors. It's very habit forming. It's extremely popular, but it is utterly useless because usually you're complaining to someone who can't do anything about the thing you're complaining about. And you are literally reinforcing the message in your mind that you are a victim 
of the thing you're complaining about. And I say this, either do something about it or shut up. Yep. Like Absolutely. complaining fixes nothing and it makes you feel better. But I don't think, this is one of my big pet peeves is how often we play the victim card. And this is another thing, like you say, is very subtle. If I were to ask most women, are you a people pleaser? Oh, no. I, trust me, you are. I just have to ask a series of questions and we have to get down to the more subtle levels. Are you a perfectionist? No, no, no. I make mistakes all the time. That's not the point. When I first came to understand perfectionism, I thought perfectionism means doing everything really, really well. Nope. Perfectionism means you wish you could, you think it's possible, and it really bugs the shit out of you that you don't. And I'm like, oh, okay, then, yeah, count me in. Um, That's such a good distinction. Such a great distinction between what it is and what it's so true. Yeah, you're not doing everything perfectly. Yeah, it doesn't make you a perfectionist. You think people are not taking it, people are not taking advantage of you, darling. Yes, yes. They are taking as much of you as you have allowed them to take. Mm -hmm. And if you're complaining to someone who isn't them, it will continue. I know this isn't easy. And I may sound like a real badass with impeccable boundaries. And at this point in my life, I am. But I learned them over time. And my goal now is to help other women get there decades earlier. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being a resource to us. Thank you for your openness and vulnerability and sharing your stories. And I know everyone wants to eat this up even more. Like I'm on my second hour of you and I can't get enough. So could you tell us where, where can we reach you? Like what's the best way for us to stay in touch? Where can they get more amazingness of Diane? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love that. Um, I've been, uh, growing my Instagram account lately. It's, I'm a little bit late to the Instagram party, so I, I would love it if you want to follow me on social media. Follow me on Instagram at Coach Diane Wingert, and Diane has a funky spelling, D-I-A-N-N. Um, if you are interested in hearing more from me, you like what I have to say and the way I say it, my podcast is The Driven Woman Podcast, and I also have a private Facebook group called The Driven Woman um, and I think we should uh, also link to the confidence habit that I talked about earlier because it includes a lot of what we've been talking about today. And the truth is, I think women treat confidence as a reward for being a good girl. That's where we get it wrong. It's a decision we make. It's a gift we decide to give ourselves, And it's a habit that we cultivate over time. And if I can do it, anyone can. You would not have recognized the person I used to be. I used to be afraid of my own shadow and that is legit. So it can be learned. It is well worth learning. And um, you guys have big goals, big plans and all kinds of things to do. So get on it. Thank you. Be sure to connect with Diane. I love her podcast. It's I, it's just a ton. If you love this, you're going to love listening to that. You'd feel so empowered, energized, inspired. So definitely just go on over and make sure you follow her on all the places. All right, sweet friends. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and found value from it. 
Also, if you like what you've heard, you're seriously going to love my emails. If you're not on my list yet, be sure to sign up at lifeisorganized.com forward slash resources. You'll find out why amazing mompreneurs who are juggling it all are showing up week after week to get valuable tips about taking control of their time, day, energy, and thoughts. And you will always be entertained. Plus, you're going to walk away with actionable insights week after week. So come on over to lifeisorganized.com forward slash resources and also get some freebies like how to stop being overwhelmed, how to stop procrastinating, how to finally get focused. Thank you for showing up today. Thank you for your love and vibes. Know that I'm always sending them back your way and I will catch you next time. Bye-bye.